This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefan Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And it's time for another female first, which means we are once again thrilled to be joined by the one, the only, <laughs> the amazing, Eves. Welcome, Eves. Yay. Thank you. I feel like I'm stepping into a circus, like, or something very. <laughs> it's the most physically involved, gentle, supportive circus. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Too early for acrobatics, but oh some some vocal ac- acrobatics, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yes. definitely those. You know what? We were just having, as we mentioned before, we like to discuss, talk before before we start recording, and we were just having a very interesting discussion about sleep. And what constitutes a nap? And I would love for listeners to to weigh in on that. Because I remember when I first started podcasting, one of the first episodes I worked on was like, have we made sleep into too much? Like, are we stressing ourselves out too much about getting sleep? And that makes it so we can't sleep anymore? It's become a stressful thing for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, and I have a feeling it's going to be a very controversial ask Yes. Like for people to answer that because I know I know there are some people who love naps, but it's also naps themselves is a very divisive topic. Like there are some people who are like, I can't do it at all. Like I have to, I got to power through the day. Mm-hmm. Sleep comes at the end mm-hmm. or the beginning, depending on whatever your personal schedule is. But mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it is yeah, controversial. It's the beginning and the end. The beginning and the end. Oh, you're getting philosophical. <laughs> Thanks, it Samantha. like a riddle. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a good segue into who we're talking about because we've talked before also, we love poetry uh, yeah. on this show. And we've all dabbled, for better or worse, into writing our own poetry uh, <laughs> I still wish I could find... Next time I visit my mom's house, I'm going to try to find my old 
high school poetry book, and I'll read some on here. Uh, yes. Okay. Oh. If you're sure you want to dig those up. Yes, I do. <laughs> They're very okay. emo. Yeah, I've got like four or five of my journal books that were specific to poems. I think I made it to p- book five. They are not cute. We'll just say it that way. <laughs> and my poor Zanga site, as I've talked about before, oh. also is riddled with really bad poetry that I can never access again. Oh, I. this is like like me feeling like a an archaeologist trying to excavate something. <laughs> I want to find that Zanga site so badly. Yeah, I tried. I, I could not. I don't know about old poetry. I, I So I don't know if I told you all this. I might have last time, but I did. At one point, digging through my mom, the stuff that I had at my mom's, found an old book of raps that I wrote. No, I don't remember this at all. I yes. Didn't. <laughs> what? Please explain. Yeah, I used to write raps. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was a lot of fun, me with, with a friend, a good friend of mine. But I also found recently, well, I didn't find them. I've literally on this desk, have had this container and I've had a bunch of CDs in it that I didn't know what was on. And I just like, I was like, okay, this, these have been here I need to figure out what is on them. So I like went through them the other day and I found (laughs) old videos, like old photos, old beats that I had made (laughs) and things like that. Um, But no poetry, no, no poetry was on there. At least uh, I want to put like your beats as a bonus track on one of these episodes at the end. Can we, can we please come on, come on. No, (laughs) you gotta find a way to get some royalties for Eve. (laughs) (laughs) They were so poorly made on the internet like you don't oh yeah yeah you don't want those better than I could have done oh, save sure. everybody from that <laughs> was it like midi <laughs> man yes very inspired by who Eves was at the time I but love it I love it can't say anybody would want to hear them <laughs> I know I would have loved to met young Eves rapping yes. <laughs> I agree. I agree. All right. Well, we'll we'll table that and see if we can convince Eve later. Uh, Good luck. (laughs) Well, in the meantime, we are very excited to talk about who you brought for us today. Uh, Can you tell us who we're going to be talking about? We are talking about Sarajani Naidu today. So she was the first Indian woman to be appointed president of the Indian National Congress. And she was also the first woman to be a governor in India. She was governor of the United Provinces. So as we were talking about just now, she was a poet as well, in addition to those political firsts that she had. So very multi-talented, very invested in all of the things that we'll get to talk about today. But, you know, as as is the case with all these firsts, I just want to remind people that, like, firsts are always in context because I know that people can jump into this series, like, at any point in time. And that just because somebody is... So I just want to go back to, like, the, the basics of the reason why we do this in the first place, which is... So I just want to preface this by saying that, like, a first doesn't mean that that person is the be-all, end-all of whatever we're talking about in their field. It doesn't mean they're the best. Um, It doesn't mean that they were the only people to do what they have done and that they didn't have any people who led them to doing um, what they did and what led to their accomplishments. So I just want to say that. I think I'm also thinking about that because we are currently in Black History Month, (laughs) the month of February, and 
a lot of first talk can happen in Black History Month. So just want to preface with that. Also want to say that February is the birth month of Sarajani Naidu. So it is appropriate for the time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, always a good reminder. And I think you put it so much more eloquently than I will. But in a past episode, you also said like there's the kind of untraceable impact that people have had and when they mm-hmm. do something and someone else sees it and all those, that support that leads to somebody's first. Um, right. And also, yeah, just what gets recorded and what stories get told. And that's one of those things we've talked about before also is like, it's both exciting and frustrating, but we are finding new people in history yeah. still. Um, yes. Who have done things. So always a good note. But yeah, uh, should we jump into the history here? Yeah, let's do it. So speaking of February being her birth month, um, she was born Sarajani Chattopadhyaya on February 13th, 1879 in Hyderabad, India. So her father was Agornav Chattopadhyaya and her mother was Verida Sundari. And her father founded the Nizam's College in Hyderabad and was its first principal. And her mother was a poet and a singer. So you can see very clearly where a lot of her influence came from because there was already involvement in the social and political spheres and also the arts. So her parents were Bengali and Brahmin. She was one of eight siblings. She had three sisters and four brothers, although one of her brothers died when he was a child. All of them were multilingual. So Sarajani spoke, understood, and could write multiple languages, including Urdu, Telugu, and English. So she was educated at Hyderabad and Madras, and she did really well in school. She even passed her matriculation exam from Madras when she was just 12 years old. So around the time, a lot of other women and Indian people in general did not have access to the resources and privileges that Sarajani did growing up. Um, Her education and her ability to travel were a result of her family's status. So we have to keep that in mind as we think about her story and what she had access to be able to do as she was ascending. Um, So she started writing poetry early on. She wrote on her 14th birthday, quote, My joys are not what joys to childhood seem, not on unthinking sports my soul was fed, but nursed it was on many a brighter theme, and high ideas formed my radiant dream. So she had already started writing. There's also like these images of her when she was younger, already getting into some of her oratory skills. So we'll talk about later on how she was a great orator, but she's talking to her family and things like that kind of on this this pedestal to everyone else and already developing those skills. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. 
Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So she met Govindara Julu Naidu, who had just graduated from medical college, and he became a physician. The two of them wanted to marry each other, but in her story, there is a do around the fact that this was an intercaste marriage and what that meant at the time. Um, her parents did disapprove of them marrying at the time, but as it goes on, they had a long marriage, and the families ended up being invested in that marriage. The Nizams of Hyderabad were the rulers of Hyderabad from around 1713 to 1950, just for that background. But she got a scholarship. She was offered a scholarship by them. And then she went on to study at King's College in London, then Girton College, Cambridge. And she wrote some of her first nature poems while she was traveling in rural England at Mangas. Um, and at this time, while she was traveling England, of course, she was in contact with other people and met other people who were already working in the English literary fields, Edmund Goss being one of those people. He was an English poet, and he apparently told her that she needed to stop writing about things like English robins and skylarks and be a more Indian poet since she was writing about the English countryside. And Arthur Simons also gave a description of her. He said, quote, she was dressed always in clinging dresses of Eastern silk. And as she was so small and her long black hair hung down, straight down her back, you might have taken her for a child. She spoke little and in a low voice, like gentle music. And she seemed wherever she was to be alone. So she ended up going back to India in September of 1898 and she had her first child with Govindara Julu Naidu, um, who, she, who she had married, or her husband, in 1901. And over the next four years, they had three more children. So she already, she began her lectures early on. She began delivering them at colleges in India. And she quickly became known as a public speaker People really enjoyed the speeches that she gave and the poetic influences that showed up within her speeches. In them, she talked about caste, she talked about religion, and she talked about India's future. 
and she became more invested in women's rights and women's education and India's independence. She also spoke about unity between Hindu and Muslim people, which was an issue that other people were speaking about at the time as well. So she spoke at many, many meetings and conferences over the year, including the Indian National Congress. It would just be impossible to list right now and very boring to list all of the conferences that she spoke at because it was so many. Um, But the Indian National Congress is a political party in India that played a really big role in the country's independence movement. So she was stirred into action by the things that she was seeing happen around her, by the changes that were happening, by the British Raj, the British rule in India at the time, and became increasingly invested and involved in being a person who was physically taking action and speaking out about the things that she felt needed to be changed. So things like the partition of Bengal in 1905 stirred action in her and uh, the anti partition activism that was happening at the time in India. So one of the people who had a big influence on her was Gopal Krishna Gokhale, who was a social reformer in India during the independence movement and who was a political mentor to Mohandas Gandhi. Gokhale had a big influence on her and he ended up dying in 1915. But before he passed away, they had a long friendship and situation of mentorship together He encouraged her work in the social and the political realm and played a big role for her in that regard. But she was still into poetry. She was still writing poetry. And her first major collection of poems, which was called The Golden Threshold, which anyone can read online, that was published by William Heinemann from London in 1905. It was popular, it got good press, and over the years, many editions were published. In it, you can read things like nature poems, poems about her life, ones on life and people in India, and even a poem on a theme from Indian mythology. Things like Islamic culture and Persian poetry influenced her work, but she did write her poems in English when she was actually writing. Of course, like we talked about earlier, she knew multiple languages, but she chose to write her poems in English, and she was also published in England. This was at a time when there weren't many women in India who were able to study in England, like I said, and also didn't write in English. But in the biography about Sarajini that she wrote, an author named Padmini Sangupta noted that it was Sarajini's fortune that she wrote her poetry in the beginning of the 20th century. The author said that if she would have written in the post-war period, she wouldn't have had as much of an impact in that, quote, sophisticated and cynical atmosphere with Sarajini's poetry being taken in many ways as very sentimental, as really lyrical, and wouldn't quite fit into that atmosphere. So... It really took off at the time when Sarajani was writing it. It was really well-received by by many people. But as the author of her biography explains, like that could have been a very fortunate thing because if she would have written in a different time, then it might not have had that kind of reception. But anyway, so when between the years of like 1911 and 1915, when her father died, she spent a lot of time in the city that was then called Calcutta, which is where her father lived. And between so between that city and between Hyderabad. 
1912, William Heinemann, that same publisher, published her second collection of poems, which is called The Bird of Time. So in a letter she wrote to him about the book, she said, quote, Good or bad, there is an immense amount of my own life, pain, and joy in it. And one does not willingly give these heartbeats to the world without wanting to be sure that they will find a response of sympathy. Um, So here is a very important part in her life. In 1914, that's when she met Mohandas Gandhi. What she says was in London on the eve of the Great European War of 1914. She agreed to help him in the war effort. And of this is a huge topic that doesn't have the space that it deserves here to talk about um, all of the politics around um, Gandhi and around their investment in the war, kind of the idea around the thought that they didn't want to press their demands while the war was at hand because they kind of didn't want to embarrass Britain while they were going through their own struggles. But that's another topic. Either way, that is related to Sarajini's story because this is around the time that she met Gandhi. They had a lifelong relationship. So the home rule movement did gain traction. And so this idea of not pressing their demands did kind of go out of the window. But Sarajini herself became involved in the national movement. And throughout her life, she remained faithful to Gandhi's leadership and Satyagraha. And she remained invested in that nonviolent resistance to British rule. It was something that she spoke out about and that she practiced. And she was a leader in as well herself. So that same year, she was also elected a fellow of the Royal Society of Literature, which was the first time an Indian woman did so. And the next year, she gave a speech supporting home rule at the Indian National Congress. She ended with a poem called Awake. And here are some of the lines in that poem. Awaken and sever the woes that enthrall us and hallow our hands for the triumphs that call us. So it's kind of a call to action for people who lived in India. She traveled on a lot of lecture tours and throughout her work, she met and became friends with a lot of artists and politicians along the way. Um, And she continued to write poetry. So she wrote The Broken Wing and that book was published in 1917 And that ended up being the last new volume of Sarajini's poetry that was published while she was alive. There was a collected edition of her poetry, The Scepter Flute, that was published later in the 40s. But after this point of The Broken Wing being published, Sarajini didn't pursue publishing much more poetry. She focused on politics. In the book, The Perishable Empire, the author says... Quote, it may be argued that the poet Sarajani Naidu's implicitly orthodox stand about a woman's passive and sacrificial role may have smoothened the way to her acceptance as a political leader. The temper of an Indian nationalism in the early years of the 20th century was aggressively traditional. So in looking back at, I just wanted to share that because in looking back at Sarajani's all the things that she did, the poetry that she was writing, and also the political work that she was doing and the social work that she was doing. A lot of biographers and people who are looking at her history notice this kind of dichotomy between how she was writing and the things that she was writing about. 
um, and the really bold stances that she was taking in her speeches and in her public life being in a way incongruous. So I think it's interesting to think about both of those things at the same time, where there is this softness and sweetness in her poetry and this kind of nostalgia and this broad overview and positivity. Um, not saying that, that those were the only things she wrote about, but in looking at her work as a whole and the way that she wrote versus her speeches that were very empowered and empowering, that were very sharp, um, that were, you know, they still had, of course, elements of her lyricism in it in them, and I don't want to reduce them to being one sort of way, but there was that incongruity in a way from that manner, but also in the other regard, it's like, well, in a way, the softness of this poetry might have made her a little bit more palatable to her audience. So I think that's interesting to think about. Um, She began working against other things like the indentured labor of women in South Africa and the treatment of Indians in Eastern Africa and South Africa. Um, Her actions in support of self-government grew as Indian issues took a backseat to others for the British, to like other issues that the British were paying attention to. And these Indian issues were taking a backseat to that. And tension was growing in India. So she was becoming more involved in struggles like that for women's suffrage and the non-cooperation movement, which was a campaign that was led by Gandhi to get Indian people to stop cooperating with the British government but not partaking in it, boycotting, other things like that. She was also part of the formation of the Women's Indian Association, which was an organization for women's rights. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots. 
the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In 1925, this is when another of her firsts comes into play. It's when she became the first Indian woman to be president of the Indian National Congress. So the first woman president was Annie Besant, who was an English activist. But Sarojini Naidu was the first Indian woman to be president. She continued on with her activism and her speeches around the world. And in the early 1930s, she was arrested and imprisoned a couple of times for her participation in civil disobedience, including her work in the Salt March. Later on in 1942, she was arrested again along with Gandhi for her role in the Quit India movement, which was a movement against British rule. And she was in prison for just under two years. Um, India did gain its independence while she was alive, so she was able to see that. It gained its independence in August of 1947. And that was the year right after that point when Sarajani Naidu became the first governor of the state of the United Provinces, which is Uttar Pradesh today, making her the first woman to become a governor of a state there. And she was sworn in on August 15th. She got this title of the Nightingale of India from her poetry. And yes, yeah, so she she did get a lot of recognition during her time. She died on March 2nd, 1949 in India. And The Feathers of the Dawn, a collection of her poetry, was published posthumously. So there's been a lot of commentary about her work after and then and the way that people felt about it um, and how her relatively conservative poetry was in opposition to her statements when she was giving speeches. But at, in the biography we talked about earlier, the author Sengupta says in the biography, quote, Sarajani's poetic effusions can scarcely be said to reflect her real views on life. So oh, there was, of course, all the talk of her being a spokesperson for India or representation of India for the Western world. And her poetry was also criticized for being too romantic and sentimental and kind of viewing India's past through rose-colored glasses. But as a whole, Sarajani's work in the political sphere and the poetry that she wrote, I think is really interesting how those things had to be taken together in looking at the work that she did um, as if they, she wasn't able to express the fullness of her humanity within the two of them. It's like kind of like pitting different people against each other who are in the same field, but it's kind of pitting Sarajani Naidu against herself in a way. Um, so it's like, eh, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay, you know, um, if you're one way in your art and you're another way 
in your life. Um, I feel like that's a really good thing um, that I'm reminded of when I'm looking at her legacy that when we're creating art, it doesn't always necessarily mean that um, we are speaking our own views the whole time anyway, but it also doesn't mean that we can't represent different parts of our character in different spaces that we move within in our lives. But she was recognized during her lifetime and after her lifetime. Her home in Hyderabad, which was known as the Golden Threshold, was at one point turned into a hotel. It's now part of the University of Hyderabad. And her birthday, February 13th, did become a National Women's Day in India. So that is the story of Sarajani Naidu. It is long. It is really interesting. I think if anybody has time to read that 1960s biography of her that I mentioned, it's super well worth it. You can learn a lot more about her life and about, and you can still read the speeches um, that she gave as well. And there is a little bit of footage on her. There's even a very short documentary of her that can be accessed online. So, and, and she wrote letters as well. So a lot of these things we can read about Sarajani, see a little bit of her, and learn more about how we feel about the legacy that she left and the work that she did. Because I know we talked about in the beginning of the episode how first, you know, really need to be contextualized within other things. But also, I think her story is a good reminder that just because somebody is a first doesn't necessarily mean that that everybody knows about them. Um, or knows their entire story if they knew, do know anything about them. So yes, and so yes, first, need a lot of contextualizing. And also, there can be a lot more left on the bone to uplift when it comes to people and their stories around their first that we don't know and that are still worth sharing. Absolutely. Um, especially with this, where there is so much documentation and different things that we could piece together to get all the the multifaceted person as much as we can um, with that context. It, because I do think sometimes a lot of people, and I've done this before too, like you see the first and you're like, oh, wow, they did that. And you don't go beyond that thing where she yeah. was doing, like she was political, but also had all of this poetry. So if you like stop at the first, then you don't know all of these other things that made her mm -hmm. her that uh, it's a real shame to to miss out on because she's got these speeches you can read and this poetry you can read mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. So, yeah, I think that's a, a really great point. And I'm very excited to check out some of the some of the poetry. I like that it's themed. I didn't realize that <laughs> earlier that it's all kind of bird yeah. related. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of nature poetry, a which lot. I'm really into, honestly. Me too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I also like every uh, most of these. We get a cameo from like a historical celebrity, and Gandhi mm -hmm. just pops up. In the story. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a lot like that in her um, in her story for sure. Mm -hmm. Annie Besant, yeah, like from from different spheres as well. Yeah, um, the Gandhi family. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's a lot of that. Nanaros, mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of people that she was connected with. Even um, Aldous Huxley. 
um, the author of Brave New World. Oh, He pops wow. up in her story. Wow. So <laughs> quite, <laughs> that makes sense. Quite if she's few. literary like that, I'm yeah. sure that that would they would cross paths. But I do find it interesting that as much as we know, like we know the name Mahatma Gandhi, and I know that he was amazing in all the things that he did. But the fact that she mm. was side by side with him in, in a lot of these movements, yeah. and I had no idea who she was right. until you brought it, like, it makes me kind of sad. I'm like, wait, but she was a huge, significant part of the this movement, and uh, not only was she that, but she was also a scholar with him and had brought up these like amazing stances. And I'm like, oh, why didn't I know about her? If I know yeah. something about you know, what Gandhi did and that he represented peace, but so did she. I had no clue. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's the case with a lot of people because, I mean, she even, it was to the point where she took over for Gandhi in leading Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when he wasn't there. So she had a really important role in it and the speeches that she gave were really well-received by a lot of people, but still some of those things get overshadowed by people like Gandhi and all of the other stuff that was happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that's why we, you know, that's why we do this. Yeah, <laughs> not right. everybody can know everything. <laughs> what? Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, we love doing this. We love having you, Eves. Um, always a delight. And we appreciate it so much. So yes. thank you. I was always happy to be here. Yes. Um, well, where can the good listeners find you? Y'all can find me on Instagram at not apologizing, on Twitter at Eves Jeffcoat, that's spelled Y V E S J E F F C O A T. Or you can just go to evesjeffcoat.com and you can get to all of the other things from there. And also on many other episodes here on Sminty of Female First. Yes. I feel like we're coming to another milestone, but I might be making it up. Um, I think we're getting there. I think so. I think we might be approaching a, a big number. Well, yes. Thanks again, Eves. Go check that out, listeners. Eves online, if you haven't already. Uh, and you can contact us if you would like. Our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at Podcast or on Instagram and TikTok at Stuff I'm Never Told You. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. 
And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.